See, we can stay at a beginner's level. I'll say that. And we can read these passages and we can say, well, you know, it was Job and it was his friends and they were having a dialogue and they just really didn't understand. But I want us to be challenged to know that God wants us to understand it's a lot more than that. Amen. And they were elders. Job held a prestigious position in the community, which means that his friends did too which means in our terminology and today, we would say that they are people of influence. And that's what I want to encourage us because Rick, we all influence other people and someone is watching you even when you don't know that they are. We have been called to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ, amen. We have been called to be true witnesses for Jesus Christ. Now, what does a true witness do? They testify about the truth in our case of Jesus Christ. I want you to look at these as we go through and understand that they, like Job, were not true witnesses of God. They had some truths in there, but a half truth doesn't make it a truth. Amen. There is no such thing as, well, it's a small lie. It's a white lie. It lies a lie. A untruth is an untruth. When we come, God is calling us to come on this platform is the tour of truth. So we are seeking the truth and we come on Mondays to the table so that we can receive bread for the journey. What is the journey? The journey of truth with Jesus Christ. We need to be able to distinguish true witnesses for Christ as well as true theologies in reference to Christ, in reference to God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and all of that. So what we're going to do as we're going through again is it's not just a harmless, because sometimes we'll say that, it's just a harmless conversation between friends. There was no real impact. Well, it is, because again, they were uh, representing or sharing what they knew about God. And it turns out, and I hope you discovered that, that it was some inaccuracies in reference to God and what they thought they knew, they didn't really know. What I always like to say is we don't know what we don't know. And that's why we need to be open in order for others to come in and to help us through the Holy Spirit and the power of God to fill in what we don't know or the untruths of what I do think I know so that I can receive the truth of God. Amen. See, oftentimes, like we will see, they were holding on to untruths and they didn't want to let go of those and they were projecting it as truth. As we're going through this tonight, I want you to really ponder on that because thanks, that is what's happening so often when it comes to the gospel of the kingdom, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God. Amen. There's so many untruths and it is a terrible representation of our God, our Father, our Lord, our King, our Master, our Savior. Oh, you have some of those words and titles that you use as well. And we want to be true witnesses, for we have been called to be witnesses for Christ. So that means speak the truth. We say speak the truth in love. Absolutely. 
but don't delude or compromise on the truth and think that's love. That is not. Amen. God is looking for us to represent him truthfully, and that's speaking the truth according to his word. Starting out, again, such things are written in the scripture long ago to teach us, and scripture gives us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. In these chapters, it really is the crust about suffering. I mean, there's no other thing that you can say or anything else that you can come out with, and it is suffering. But here's what we need to understand that endure the suffering because it is a product of the fall. Now, what fall am I talking about? I'm talking about the fall in chapter three of Genesis when Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit because they disobeyed God. But in the midst of our suffering and our enduring it, how do we do it? We persevere. We persevere by standing in Christ, by standing in the word of God, not compromising, not, uh, you know, um, Again, whitewashing it, but we stand in the truth. Are we going to suffer for our faith? Absolutely. Are we going to be persecuted? I believe we are, and I believe we're in uh, in those days now that are going to progress. But what God wants us to do is to preserve that truth and to preserve our standing in him, even when we don't understand. Because there are many things because we are not going to understand because our ways are not God's ways. And as we're enduring the suffering, what else should we be doing? Proclaiming the truth of the gospel, the truth of the kingdom. We should be proclaiming, thus says the Lord, according to as it is written. Amen. And presenting that truth and not feeling like we have to apologize or even have to justify and explain it. No. The word of God is the truth. It is the wisdom of God. And that's what we want to have in us. And that's what we want to share and give, give to others. We are to defend the truth of the word of God. And in defending it, it is also in who he is, his character, his nature, his ways, and his kingdom. See, again, Job and his friends, Job spoke better of God than his friends, but Job and his friends made some blunders when it came to who God is, his character, his nature, his ways. We must strive because we read the scripture, we love the scripture, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us and bring us in to all truths. Amen. We'll continue on. See, suffering tests our motivation for worshiping God. Notice I said ours. So I'm not pointing the finger at anyone. This is applies to me as well. Suffering can cause us to question God's justice and rule of the world. It also exposes false the theologies we hold as true. And I believe that if you examine the scripture by the Holy Spirit, you will see that Job and his friends had some theologies that were not true. Saints, we must be careful, ever so careful, that we don't present 
false theologies as a truth and as the truth of the word of God when they simply are not. It also identifies that we are perhaps pursuing righteousness in an attempt to avoid pain and suffering in this life. Amen. Will cause us to do things like Job did, begin to proclaim all the things that he did and that God owed him an God was obligated to give him an answer. He should not be suffering. Let me say it this way, and I'm going to talk about me. I can be the what. Others may consider or even think that I am a Christian of all Christians. I do everything right. I feed the poor. I uh, provide clothes and shelter, visit those that are in prison, do all of these things. But I still must remember that God does not owe me anything. Amen. He has already been better to me than I ever deserved. Amen. And it's not wrong to ask God questions, but when we demand, because we think that out of our righteousness, he owes us something. That is a false theology. Amen. And we need to be careful about that. We need to know, why are we worshiping God? Are we worshiping so of what we can get from him? So that we think, because I've heard people say this, that when you pay your tithes and your offerings and things, then you actually you have a receipt that says God owes you? Come on, saints, that it's not true. God does not own, owe us anything. In fact, He's already been better to all of us than we deserve. And if you question that, remember Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross for your sins, my sins, not his own. Amen. See, this is what happened to both Job and his friends. Job acknowledges God's sovereignty. Praise the Lord, because God is sovereign. Yet he still believed God owed him an explanation. He demanded it in 10 addresses before he gets to chapter 28, where he finally speaks of wisdom and understanding. See, the bottom line is this. God is not subject to Job. Job is subject to God Almighty. And that is the same way it is with you and I. We are subject to him. See, we didn't create God. I certainly hope you haven't created your own. He created us, and he did so for his own goodwill and for his purpose. God is always right. He is perfect. He has never made a mistake. There is no evil in him, and God will never, ever have to explain or come back and tell us he's sorry, he made a mistake, he shouldn't have done that. It's not going to happen. Amen. And again, he's not obligated to explain to us why this happened, why he did what he did. What we must remember is he is the Lord. He is sovereign and he is perfect in all his ways. I like to say and tell people that God does all things well. Amen. And if there is a challenge between what's going on with me and what God is doing, then there are times when I have to tell my eyes because my eyes may look and think a certain thing. My ears may or, or hear something and begin to 
articulate something different than the word of God and who I know God to be. And I'll say, eyes, you a lie. Ears, you a lie. Heart, you a lie. Thoughts, you are a lie. The only absolute truth is God. And he has never erred. And he hadn't started in me and with my situation. See, his friends, Elipaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they believe that God only inflicts suffering on the wicked. Therefore, there must have been some unconfessed, hidden sin in Job's life. He just needed to admit it. He was the cause of his suffering. Now, I don't want you to speak up now, but I want you to think about this. Has that ever been your assumption and the attitude that you had and a belief that you thought this very same thing about God? Here's this. See, this is a general principle of God's dealing, but it does not explain all of them. And when not balanced by other operative truths or when taken to the extreme, it leads to erroneous representation of God's governance. We must remember on the earth, we represent God. We are no longer our own, and it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. The scripture says we are ambassadors for God, and ambassadors represent the kingdom or the nation in which they come from, and they speak the things, the policies, the procedures, the beliefs of that particular government, that particular nation. In our case, it is the kingdom. How do we derive those things? The Bible. What does the Bible say? And that's all 66 books. Amen. And it is not sound if we go through and we only pick out all the promises and we don't look at the conditions associated with the promises or we don't look at the consequences that are associated with not meeting and following the conditions of God. God is perfect in all of his ways. And again, he does everything well. We may not understand it. We may not be able to comprehend it because we're not God, but we should never question and wonder if God has made a mistake. And sometimes we find ourselves doing that when we make comments and statements about, well, this is not fair. That's not right. You know, they're such a good person. How could this be happening to them? Or they must be wicked. There must be some hidden sin, some evil stuff they're doing. Otherwise, why would that be happening? Mm. Things that we need to ponder and think about it before we say those things. Amen. And here's the key. See, our witness is not just to those that are on the earth, but it's in heaven and those that are beneath. Amen. Our words have power, and we hold the power of life and death in our tongue. And this tongue is to represent God and represent him correctly. Amen. And this is what he says to all humanity, coming from Job 28 and 28. The fear of God is true wisdom. To forsake evil is real understanding. How often do we hear we're not to fear God. And if we do fear God, it really don't mean what we think it means. And he says to forsake evil is real understanding. 
The word wisdom is used 234 times. Wise is used 247 times in the Bible. Proverbs mentions the fear of God over 20 times. In total, the Bible mentions the fear of God 100 times. What is the point of Isaiah's prophecy is that Jesus is the summation or the personification of the Proverbs man. And that's Isaiah 11, 1 and 5. The main point is the fear of God is the necessary foundation for every virtue Proverbs recommends. In case you're not familiar with it, here is Isaiah 11, 1 and 5 says the royal line of David will be cut off, chopped down like a tree, but the stump will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch from the old root, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who's the him? Jesus Christ. It is the Yeshua. He is our Lord. The spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, and might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be his obedience to the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, false evidence or hearsay, but will defend the poor and exploit it. He will rule against the wicked who oppress them, for he will be clothed with fairness and truth. Remember where the scripture says that Jesus learned obedience to the Father through suffering. We are to endure suffering. Solomon in the book of Proverbs encourages us over and over again to get wisdom. One of the examples is in Proverbs 4 and 5. And then he goes on and he says that those that get wisdom love life. That's still Proverbs 19 and 8. It is better to get wisdom than gold, 16 and 16. Those who get wisdom find life and receive favor from the Lord. That's 8, 32, and 35. Are you seeing the value and the importance of wisdom? But he also cautions us, however, in the book of Ecclesiastes 7, 23 and 24, this very same Solomon makes it clear getting wisdom is a challenging process. And he said, I determined to be wise, but this was beyond me. Whatever exists is far and most profound. Who can discover it? So again, he's telling us it's not something that's going to be easy, but a we get wisdom from God, wisdom from above. True wisdom only comes from God. And the Bible tells us, if you need wisdom, ask our generous Lord, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. James 1 and 5. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 9 and 10. To fear God is to take refuge in him and to draw close to him. Now, I know it's, that seems like it would be the exact opposite because that's what is being proclaimed. That's what's being uh, promoted. That's what's being said. Oh, no, if I fear God, I can't fear God because if I fear God, you know, he's just too good and, and, and to keep me away from him. No, no, no. To really, real fear of God 
is to take refuge in him, to draw close to him, to know I can't do this on my own. I need him. I must look to him. I must seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And then these other things will be added. It is to move from knowing about God to knowing him. This means to know deeply and personally. Fear of God means that we ought to know him. Fearing him keeps us from pursuing harmful things. It gives us a heavy respect for the one who is bigger, stronger, and mightier than we are. Ephesians 1, 16 and 18. I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly asking God, the glorious father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your heart will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. Amen. It is to know him. It is to know him. It is to have the wisdom of God and the insight so we can grow in the knowledge of God. Fear of God is a beautiful thing. There's two types of wisdom. True wisdom is from God. Corrupt wisdom is from Lucifer, Satan, and the devil. Let's explore this. Let's take a look at corrupted wisdom. See, corrupted wisdom questions God's word. Is that really true? Is that really what he meant? Nah, that can't be it. He would never do that. He would never say that. Rejects God's authority. Finds joy apart from God's presence. It is a faulty and sim simplistic explanation of God's dealing with things. You can look at this more and you'll see it all there in Genesis chapter 3, 3 and 4, as well as Genesis 4 and 13. See, corrupted wisdom rebels against trusting God in the midst of calamity and pain. It blames God. Ultimate goal. What is the ultimate goal of corrupted wisdom? The ultimate goal, because it comes from Lucifer, Satan, and the devil, is for you to curse God and die. Remember his MO. Who's the his? The devil. It is to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10 and 10. Corrupted wisdom from Satan. It is a the theology that is driven by dogma of divine retribution, which preaches that God rewards the just with prosperity and punishes the wicked with calamity. It is all about self-righteousness, traditions and culture, and we'll see that because that's what Job's friends were ex ex expounding upon, tradition and culture, how we have always done it, more important than God and his word, more important than the word of God. They made statements like this. We know because of our ancestors, because of our fathers, because what happened and how they always did things, the elders. and. Corrupt wisdom is also complaining and criticizing God and others. This contradicts Jesus' word. 
for he said this, I've told you all this so that you will have peace of heart and mind. See, that thing that says we're not going to suffer if we're in Christ. We're not going to go anything. That contradicts, corrupt wisdom contradicts the word of God. And again, Jesus said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But cheer up, for I have overcome the world. When did this begin? What I'm talking about is the corrupted wisdom. Corrupted wisdom. It began and it in Ezekiel 28 and 17, your heart was filled. Who is the your? Lucifer, Satan, the devil, with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. I cast you to the ground. I expose you before kings to feast their eyes on you. Again, Ezekiel 28 and 17. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Please note all the eyes. And it is a modern trend in the gospel of today. Me, myself, and I, it's all about me. This is corrupt wisdom, and it is not from God. It's not. It's not. We die to self so that we can live for him. Examples for us to ponder. True wisdom from God. The Lord made all sorts of green trees up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2 and 9, NLT. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, Genesis 2 and 17 ESV. Corrupt wisdom from Lucifer. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God actually say that? You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. Genesis 3 and 1 ESV. True wisdom from God. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ, who is judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearance and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own positions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, ESV. And if any of us are saying, well, that doesn't apply to me because I'm not a I'm not an apostle, I'm not a prophet, I'm not an evangelist, I'm not a preacher or a teacher. And I want you to know again, 
We have all been called to be witnesses for God. And how do we witness? We witness according to the word of God, which the word of God, it shows, it explains, it breaks down so that we can see who God is. Corrupt wisdom from Satan, the devil. Don't talk about the fear of God. That might offend them and cause them to turn away from God. You can't talk about sin because people might get upset and stop coming to church. People don't want to hear about sin. That was then, but now everybody is doing it, so it's okay. It's none of your business. You're not supposed to judge because you don't know their heart. Judge and will be judged. God is love. He loves everybody. He just wants everybody to be happy. You are attempting to put every, everyone back under the law. When we talk about sin, when we point people to the truth, people say, you're just trying to put people back under the law. True wisdom from God. I have not sent these prophets, yet they have ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they have prophesied. But if they had stood in my council and had caused my people to hear my words, then they should have turned from their evil way and turned from their evil doings. Can any hide himself in secret places that I shall not see him, says the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth, says the Lord. Corrupt wisdom from Satan the devil. You know we are only human. Everybody makes mistakes. They couldn't help it. They are still a mighty man or woman of God. There are no false prophets. They just made a mistake. Next time, they'll get it right. It's okay to not preach about sin ever because you know we don't want to hurt anybody. God knows their heart. We don't. True wisdom from God. I've heard what the prophet said. That prophecy lies in my name saying, I have dreamed. I have dreamed. How long shall this be in the hearts of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Corrupt wisdom from Satan to believe it is unloving to tell someone about sin and the wages of it. And after all, we all sin and fall short of his glory. And that's true. But here's the thing. See, a partial truth does not make it a truth. And that's what we see with Job and his friends. There were partial truths. There were things I believed because I knew it was for me. When his friends were speaking, I found myself nodding and saying yes to discover mm -mm, that is not the way it is. See, a little truth doesn't make it true. Even with the things that Job said, was there some truth? Yes, but there was also some things that were not right. And just because everyone is doing it, everyone is saying it, it does not make it right. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin so we can keep on sinning. He understands we cannot help it. See, he did pay the penalty for our sins, but he freed us from sin, not to continue to sin and Really? Does he really understand? And he wants us to just keep on doing it? Ponder those things. There's 
not consequences for sin anymore. The truth is God's wisdom is the word of God, which is the will of God. And here's an example. But false prophets also arise among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bring upon them swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because the way of truth is blasphemy, and in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Second Peter's 2, 1 and 3. If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them to hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept into the judgment, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment into the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. Why suffering? They have come so that the proven genuineness of our faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you believed in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your soul, 1 Peter, 7, 1 Peter 1, 7 and 9. Therefore, the minds that are alert and fully sober set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he, who called you as holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We must remember, and this is, the word of God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. We don't think like God, and our ways are not like God. But if we rely, depend, and cling to him, he will reveal himself and cause us day by day to become more like him. But we go from grace to grace. We go from strength to strength. We go because he leads us. Jesus replied, your, your mistake is that you don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. Matthew 22 and 29. Here's the questions that I want you to ponder. Was Job's 
righteousness is what it was supposed to be from the beginning? Or was God speaking for who he knew he would be to Satan after his suffering? What key and essential element were missing from the chapter we read? Have you ever found yourself in the shoes of Job's friends? And if so, how did you handle it? And looking back on it, what might you do differently today as compared to then? Or, or would you handle it the same way? Amen. So anyone that would like to jump in, don't hold back, don't hold back. Uh, and if you have any thoughts, comments, questions, and I always like to add any concerns. I just want to say that I think it's an interesting pondering what you brought up with the question was Job's righteousness from the beginning, because we see that God presented Job to Satan um, as a consideration for um, some kind of testing, you know, to be allowed in his life. Um, and we know that, you know, that was for his purpose of refinement because it's the reason he allows us to go through trials and suffering, but was his righteousness from the beginning? Because we know he was definitely a godly man, mm -hmm. but then we see through all of his um, conversations with friends how he was, like you were pointing out, he was um, thinking a little highly of himself in his mm -hmm. own self-righteousness, thinking, well, God owes me, you know, he owes me an explanation as to what's happening because I'm righteous. Um, and that in itself means that he wasn't righteous from the beginning because there's an element of pride seen in that. And I just think it's also awesome, you know, with the, your question number two, was God speaking forth who he knew um, Job was going to be after his suffering, suffering, which speaks of his sovereignty, that he knew he was going to allow this refining process, you know, to allow Job to become this man who is righteous because he's now submitted to God um, because he's seen, he has seen, you know, himself in the, in the right, with the right lens at some point, because he submits to the Lord when he says, let me close my mouth. And I'm sorry, basically that I said anything. I, I'm, he real, he realized his, his error. Um, Amen. Yeah. So I just think those are really interesting ponderings because before you ask that question, I really had always thought that yes, Job was a righteous man, but he is complaining a lot of in this thing he's complaining. And although he's, he never cursed God, but he mm -hmm. wasn't perfect through this thing. He was still, there were some struggles that he was dealing with of his own ponderings in it. So amen. Amen. So I appreciate I mean you pointing it out. You know, and even when you look at it, when he started, he started out with naked, I came into the world and naked, I'll go out, you know, and he even said profound things because he was operating. There's two types of wisdom. And, and when we are pressed and when we are going through, it's either going to be the wisdom of God that comes forth or the corrupted wisdom. He said, though he slayed me, I will trust in him. But as things continued to occur and it was prolonged, then we see that he began to boast of himself. 
I did this, I did that, I did this. There is one author of I, and it is not our God. Amen. Mm -hmm. So when we begin to I, 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 then we must understand there's another spirit operating and it's operating and bringing forth that corrupt wisdom. Amen. Jed, I see you have your hand up and I want to encourage anyone else. If you would like to make a comment, have any thoughts, please jump in and put your hand up as well. Go right ahead, Jed. Hey, really great uh, teaching. Absolutely enjoy uh, what you brought tonight, Sylvia. So bless you. Thank you uh, for digging into the word for us and sharing what the Lord gave you. Um, I want to stick up for my guy, Job, a little bit uh, because God says he's righteous. Amen. God says to Satan, he says, have you noticed my righteous servant, Job, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, And then it also says in, in all these things, Job did not sin. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I don't think Job is saying he is sinless. I think his whole protest is, I'm not, this suffering is not because of a sin that I've committed. And he's his whole pushback on all his friends is, I want to plead my case with the Lord. I want to have a trial. I want to lay out my case and I want to hear God's case back. And I want to, he wants to question the Lord. And when the Lord shows up, which we haven't gotten there yet, but he does, <laughs> teaser. Uh, you know, God says, I got some questions for you. So gird yourself up like a man. And then God, God questions Job, but even in his questioning back of Job, he actually corrects Job's friends and says, what you have said about me is not right, but Job has said some things that are right about me, um, which is interesting to me. I, and then God obviously pours out a bunch of blessings on Job at the end. Um, and so wisdom is, according to Jesus, wisdom is proved right by what results from it. And therefore, I think a lesson we can take from Job is actually you know, God pours out a lot of blessings on him and says he was righteous at the beginning, blesses him at the end, corrects him in the sense that, you know, Job, be careful what you ask for, because I just might show up and uh, and have some questions for you, and I'm still God and you're not. And I think it's a potter in the clay where Job is asking questions that are above his pay grade, um, and in that way, you know, he's deserving of, of the Lord's discipline and loving discipline. Um, and, and, and the Lord even, you know, says to Job's friends, you, you need to go ask Job to pray for you. Otherwise, you know, that, that I won't deal with you according to what your words have, have said about me. Uh, I think it's interesting. So I want to stick up for Job a little bit. I, I don't think uh, it, this is about whether he was righteous or not. Um, I think this was a, a, a challenge to uh you know remember that that God is the potter and we're the clay and the, and we don't understand why things happen and so trying to as ascribe causality to this is this circumstances in someone's life must be because of a choice that they made or didn't make i think is one of the main themes of the book but i'll i'll uh, let murray jump in there well before murray jumps in i'm going to share a couple things and i agree with you and it's always great to ponder and have debates, but it's also when we can look because scripture is understood line upon line, precept upon precept. So I would throw out there, it was an angel, but when the angel came and spoke to Gideon, 
It said man of valor. Now, if you remember the circumstances and where Gideon was at that time, was he really displaying a man of valor? Amen. And what you said was so important because you're right. At the end, after, I would say, the refining and after Job has the encounter with God, and you all haven't got there in your reading yet, but I think some of you, because you were here with us last year, you read it or maybe you read it on your own. But it's after the refining. Now pray for them. Amen. And some, I didn't say all, some of what he said, you're right was absolutely true. But that's where the caution is. And the caution is just because it's some truth in it, and I want to bring it to current world, some truth in it, it doesn't make it the truth. Amen. But what is the truth? The word of God, 100%. Now, some of you are not going to um, probably appreciate this, but I will say that for me, it is like, you know, I know that there are many that are uh, avid fans of the chosen and won't miss it, but it's 95% made up. And you spend an hour, however long watching it, but the scripture is 100% true all the time. Let's just be careful and make sure we stay in the word and we don't let other things change us into. And what I share is what God just has me ponder and the questions that he gave me. Murray, you have something. I'm looking for the passage, but uh, one of the things about God's ways is that what we fear we bring very close to us. And it said that the thing that I have feared has happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it happened to him. And in the midst of it, uh, he's making statements like Jed just said. I said, yeah, God said, you putting God to the test can be very wise or extremely foolish. And it, it depends on how you ask. Job, fortunately, did not accuse God of wrongdoing in this and and in that he was righteous but but when we compare our righteousness we can say well i'm more righteous than this one but the standard is the lord himself and the best of us we've got a long ways to go till we measure up to that standard but uh uh fortunately there's grace job suffered what he feared because it that allows the enemy Asia uh, a door of opportunity and uh, and uh, uh, we need to deal with the 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 desires of our heart because if they're not in line with Christ's we're in trouble we will invite a lot of things needlessly upon us. And um, um, I'll share briefly, uh, just over about two and a half weeks ago, my father passed away and uh, it's been a hard time for the family. 
especially my mom. They were married uh, 64 and a half years. <laughs> and uh, but my mother is quite anxious. She brings things. I said, Mom, you just need I said, just thank God he's been good to us. Mm-hmm. Don't don't be concerned about this or that. God's been good. He's he's given us so much more than we we deserve because he is so good. Mm-hmm. And uh, we yeah, that that will keep darkness from knocking on your door repeatedly. I'll leave it there. I, I just want to add something to about, about the first question. Um, I think Job was righteous before God, but I think his righteousness was further refined by his experiences. And so we can grow. I think Job grew in righteousness. And, um, and if I might just add um, Bernie's comment, Bernie, uh, his microphone's not working, but he put in the notes, um, Job's righteousness was by faith, just like Abram. And then he said, Job did have some pride, but isn't this an indication that we are declared righteous, not by our works or deeds, but by faith? He says, one other note, throughout all this, Job did not sin or blame God for anything. The all this was the suffering of the loss of his family and material things, but his pride followed the all this. He may not have sinned initially, but when he opened his mouth and spoke, he certainly fell short. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Two things is to uh, one is um, when Murray talked about uh, Job having fear, then it also brings us to the scripture that says God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love and a sound mind. And then the other thing that we need to remember is absolutely um Abraham was in that same category, but we also know that Abraham had a few, you know, challenges there in what was the truth, you know, uh, in reference to his wife. Uh, So, again, it is things to ponder. It is things to ask and to seek God so that we can go deeper in revelation that God will bring and not necessarily that, you know, it's this or this. I'm just simply saying, ponder those things, ponder those things, you know, because there are times when we may see it one way, but God is trying to show us something different. Amen. Uh, Jed, I think I see your hand up again. Yeah, I just wanted to come back around this idea of Job because there's an interesting verse in Ezekiel um, that's in Ezekiel 14 about Job, actually. It says, I'm gonna, I'll start in verse 12. Uh, and so the word of the Lord comes to me, son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine on it and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord God. I think it's interesting that Job is brought up here in in, uh, in this prophecy to Ezekiel, or through Ezekiel, where uh, Job is listed as righteous as so, along with Daniel and, and Noah. 
so he's kind of in a, in a unique pantheon there of the heroes of faith uh, in, a, in another scripture. I just thought I'd throw that out there. Okay, so no, I want to throw out too, really quickly. Sorry if I'm speaking over you, Pastor Sylvia. I just wanted to say, you know, that just in in bringing it all full circle, it kind of leads us back to the word that says, "But none are righteous, not one." You know, so that we've all fallen short, and that includes Noah, it includes Abraham, even though they were. Abraham's faith, it says that it was reckoned to him. So it was given to him by his faith. And so again, I think what Bernie said is the key ingredient that even though Abraham is our acknowledged as our father of faith, because he was also the father of the covenantal promise um, in that process, you know, before him were Job and Noah that are mentioned, but they also, when we look at what Abram's faith was, what Abraham's faith was, it was that he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Well, that was the same thing Noah did when God told Noah it was going to rain and it had never rained because it had only the water had come up from below the ground. It had never rained. People had never seen it, but Noah believed God that he should build this boat which would seem crazy, but he did what God told him to do. And the same thing that we see with Job. Job was a man of God, and we don't have the full revelation given to us of the understanding how he walked with the Lord fully, but we know he believed God. And so I think that that's the key ingredient as we're talking about all of this. And I love what Pastor Sylvia said, because they are things to ponder. And even though we might throw out some, you know, different um, thoughts over these scriptures, different things that maybe the Holy Spirit's saying to any one of us. We definitely want to continue to remind everybody we do not profess to have all the answers. We're, we're talking as the family around the table, and we're allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and to even correct us as we, as we do this. But this is why it's so important for us. Praise the Lord. And again, what I want to come in and say is that I'm not telling you that Joe was not righteous. I asked you to ponder as to when, amen, when. And God does speak forth things before it happens. Those of us that are Christians, amen, uh, I will say Gentiles, we know that the Messiah has come, amen. And he was spoken for, you know, but there are others that are of Jewish faith that they're still waiting for the Messiah. But he was speaking forth about the Messiah before the Messiah ever came. Amen. So that's what you're pondering. God speaks well of you. And you may not be in that place of him speaking well of you. But he knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end from the beginning. And when our hearts are open and we are allowing ourselves to go through the refiner's fire, as the Bible says, from silver to gold, amen, then there is, because God always has a desired outcome. And what I love about the Lord is he speaks those things forth. He did it with Solomon, did he not? I mean, he did it with Samson. We can see that there is a pattern of things. So it's just things for you to ponder. Amen. We go into the New Testament, you know, and we can see things that happen with, let's say, Peter. Well, we didn't necessarily say, you know, necessarily main Peter blunder. I love Peter. He had a whole lot of blunders. 
But the bottom line is Peter was considered righteous. He is an apostle, and he was already seen that way by Christ before he was martyred and he died. So again, we don't have to, I'm not trying to get us to argue, just trying to get us to look at things and have a dialogue and have discussions. Amen. Jesus said that broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the gate and few find it. The purposeful corrupt wisdom is to try to make the few that find it, that particular entry point, larger and larger, and it's not. Jesus said what he meant. So we really need to make sure that we stay in the word and that we love the truth of the word and not allow ourselves to be deceived into thinking again. That's why I was showing you now, oftentimes, People don't want to talk about sin. They don't want to hear about sin. And they don't want you to either. Or for us to take stands and say, thus says the Lord. That's the bottom line. Number three, what is missing? And for me, what I see is what are the things that we do? You know, maybe in those seven days when they were quiet. But, you know, seven days where they came to sit beside Job, that's in the earlier chapters before we get, so you should have already read that. That is a Jewish tradition. They still do it today. When someone dies, they go and sit with the person for seven days, so on and so forth. But what I did not see, and maybe you did, but I did not see, first and foremost, where was the prayer? Where was the prayer? Where was the seeking? Where was the asking? We know that the younger individual who spoke up, he said that he was being led by the spirit of the living God. But where was the prayer? Prayer is key and essential in everything, in every situation, how we handle it, what we say or what we don't say, because it determines whether we're being led by God or led by self. Amen. You know, when um, there was correction from the Lord that the friends were wrong, you're right, where you pointed out that the, one of the friends was saying that this is the spirit of the Lord leading him to say these things, which clearly that was not true. You know, and it makes me remember if we do not have an unction that we know is truly from the Lord, we're better off to just be quiet than to say, you know, than to prophesy lies, basically. Amen. Amen. You said that key component that was missing was prayer. I'm like, wow. And I've read Job many, many times, but I'm getting new insight. So I really, really appreciate it. And the discussion has been great. Um, I ran out of paper taking notes, so, <laughs> but it's been great. And I really got a lot out of it. And it just encourages me to go a little bit more deeper more deeper, more deeper, and, and listening a little harder to what God is saying in his word. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you. Because here's the uh, point that I want to say as well. We don't want to make up some stuff, so I'm not trying to do that, but we want to go beyond the surface. There is so much more there. There are nuggets that God desires 
for us to be able to uncover so he can reveal them. There are things that are hidden. Amen. And sometimes, you know, we will get used to this is taught this way. This is shared this way. And the Holy Spirit is saying, but look. Let me show you this. It was divinely inspired by me. All scripture is. I'm the writer. Who knows better than the actual author? The author of a book, the one that wrote it, it's the Holy Spirit. So don't lose that, that time or that opportunity or that desire to go back and ask him questions. Amen. Say, show me this. You wrote this. What, what was this? You know, you were in that time. I'm reading after the fact. You know, I don't know. Let us open ourselves, not up to false doctrines, but deeper, because deep calls unto deep. And that's what he's doing, calling us deeper so that we can see in all scripture. Jesus said it. They all proclaim. They all declare. They all talk about me. Can you see him in the scripture? Are you able to relate this to Christ? Because anything else is just a waste of our time. It really is all about him, all about him. Um, is there anything else? I know Pastor Sylvia threw some great questions out for us to all ponder with the Holy Spirit. Um, but does anybody else have any insights, anything that you want to share specifically from our reading um, this week? Or that fourth and final question that she threw out, have, has there ever been a time that um, that you can relate to Job being one of Job's friends or like one of them? I'm sure we all have one of those stories. <laughs> I would think we all have one of those stories. I, before I was running to the Lord to ask him all the time, uh, I am sure that I looked at other people and thought, oh, I wonder what they got themselves into. Now I repent for that and say, God, I need your perspective of this person. You require mercy and I need your perspective and I need your perspective of what's happening in my uh, in my life. And so I constantly ask him for his perspective and for wisdom and to lead me in how I can effectively pray for the person that's suffering. And and when our brothers and sisters are suffering, going to him first before we open our mouth to them uh, is what I try to do because I don't want to beat someone while they're down. We have no idea how hard they're hurting. So Amen. The Lord. thank you for the teaching. You know, that actually what you just shared um, reminds me of a time of my own in my own life where I was um, around 30 years old and I was at a time where I was at a very close walk with the Lord. Um, just lots of fruit and evidence of and his presence was with me and and he was sending people to um for me to pray with and lots of assignments that i had in this time so much so because i was immature in my faith but i had a very i had a zealousness for god and i was so hungry for doing his will i wanted that and i was praying you know to for him to use me um but i recall in that time having some things that god needed to deal with in me that i can look at back now and realize why I had to go through a time of suffering, because it's what the time of suffering has done in refining me. I remember thinking, um, I was kind of like having a super spiritual attitude 
towards other people, like just judging, you know, if they were dealing with this, it must be because they're not praying enough. Like as if I had the answers to why, um, you know, maybe their relationship with God is not good enough, or maybe they're just not making the effort or I, whatever. But I somehow thought that, you know, I was um, better in some way, if I'm just being honest, you know, super spiritual and uh, wow, have I been humbled, you know, just really through the sufferings that have come into my life. Just, you know, I have seen where the Lord has allowed that, um, to do a mighty work in me and to take me off of that pedestal and realize that I am no better than anyone at any stage, just because I'm walking with the Lord or because, I have any sort of knowledge of him or what have you. I depend on him every day. You know, I remember hearing this one testimony of a pastor and I'll stop with this, but, and it was on a radio and it reminded me of what I'm saying of myself. And he said, you know, he had been a pastor for some 30 years and he said, but one day he was driving down the road and, uh, realized it was in a fight with his wife and was just saying some really nasty things to her. And then he just dawned on him what was coming out of his mouth. And he said, I just realized that my flesh is, it's all still there. And, and I, it's just that reminder that I desperately need Jesus. This is the reason why we have to abide in him because we haven't arrived and we're not going to arrive until we step into glory. And so it's the journey, right? We're in the process of sanctification, but it's a, it's a wonderful thing what refinement and trials can do for us because it's truly God will exalt the humble and he will bring us down with good purposes for us um, when we are thinking a little too highly of ourselves or just uh, getting a little too big for our britches, which we need to be in that place of humility because it's the place where the Lord can work mightily and um, where he will receive the glory. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, I would just say if you could please stop stepping on my toes because, you know, <laughs> you're talking about me right now. And, um, you know, because that was my vein, you know, really to be judgmental, critical and looked at it and said, oh, they must have sinned. They must have done A, B, C, D, because a part of that is, again, the theologies and the theology and the way that it was taught in my particular denomination, so on and so forth, to God began to open it up and show me that mm -mm, you're not going to understand. It doesn't mean that they've done anything. Amen. I am the Lord and I know exactly what I'm doing. I am the Lord. Amen. And it is not your place to come in and try to analyze, but did they do this and do that and open your mouth in ignorance and with foolishness that does not do a proper or a good representation of who God is. Amen. Jed, I see you had your hand up, so I'm going to let you speak. And then I want to read one last scripture before we get off. Yeah, I just want to, I love what, what you guys are saying, and I'm in complete agreement. You know, the Lord has, has shown me that error in my own walk and but the uh, tell a quick testimony of, of a time when we had planted the house of prayer in England, and actually, one of uh, one of the other founders that planted it with us, her her sister passed away, and I'll, and I'll never forget how visceral this lesson was driven into us. Was when uh, other believers were sending her emails and talking to her, and, and basically saying that they believed that her sister died of cancer because 
our friend had gone on these different prayer trips and had opened up certain things in other countries with her prayers mm. and were ascribing causality to her sister's death. And we're basically heaping a lot of guilt onto our friend and kind of, you know, putting on an investigator's hat. And I just watched the damage that that was doing to a woman who was grieving the loss of her sister. And it just, it hurt me to watch my friend get hurt by that. And I, I, you know, I just, at that time, realized that I think one of the main lessons of the book of Job is to not be one of Job's friends. <laughs> um, and, and to really keep our mouths shut uh, when people are hurting and to do the only thing we can do, which is to be the, the paralytic man's friends and just tear, up, tear open a roof and bring our friends before Jesus and say, we don't know why he's paralyzed. We don't know why this is going on, but we love you and we love, we love our brother or our sister enough to bring him before you, Jesus. And we know that in your name and by your blood, there's power. Uh, to be with our friend and, and, and we'll just leave, leave them in your hands. And that's all we can do, but to try to try to figure it all out and investigate it, unless the Lord really shows it to you. Um, you know, then I think, I think we're on, on pretty thin ice. Amen. I agree. It is amazing what the refining fire does. Uh, Murray, I saw your hand, but also I think it was damp. Yeah, yeah. you made a comment about uh, the Lord talking to the religious leaders. I've always loved that passage that that you search the scriptures because in them you think you find eternal life. And they are the, the thing that testify of me and you won't come to me. Like it... He's basically telling them he's Messiah, and they're it's staring them in the face, and they can't see it. That that is a scary place to be, where you think mm. you know, mm. and you don't realize just how clueless you actually are. Amen. And uh, I I just. I have been someone's intercessor for most of the last 30 years. And it's just how we get so caught up. Well, I know this. Yeah, but do you know it by revelation or you do know it as information? Mm, mm. Amen. Amen. And there's only life on what you're presently walking in. Krista, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. before we close, I know we're close to that, but uh, we've gone over, in fact. Uh, Deb had her hand up uh, and so wanted to see if she still would like to uh, chime in. Just, yeah, sure, just a quick, uh, uh, this read of Job was really different than most of the times that I've gone through. I found myself... Um, thinking about who Job was before all this happened and who his friends were all before this happened and sitting at the gates and all the prestige and power. Of course, mm -hmm. a lot of that accounting mm -hmm. is who he said he was, but, you know, we, we have all the other previous studies have been, you know, the conversations after all of the, the affliction and, and understanding we have a little bit private 
uh, understanding behind the curtain, so to speak, of the Lord uh, speaking mm -hmm. to say everything. But I found myself thinking about just the who we who we are, the sinful nature of human beings, and um, that he we know you know he he was rich and powerful and had a lot of things and imagine that the people that he spoke with were people of position who had a lot of that power and uh w when all of that stuff falls to the wayside the people scatter was there a phrase called a fair weather friend something like that and i mm -hmm. found myself about how that's reflected in society a lot today that there's people mm -hmm. who are wealthy and have all sorts of things and the minute something happens and they lose that Everybody scatters. Nobody, you know, uh, the scatter, or they have, or they have things to say that aren't very uh, edifying. And so the, just kind of the the sinful nature where we gravitate towards people that are, you know, they're doing great. We're all together doing great, and the minute something happens, we're sort of out there. So just a little bit of a different uh, take. But I know we're running late, so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Uh, Terrence, would you mind closing us in prayer tonight? Of course. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Father God, we just want to say thank you once again for showing up and showing out, Father. We thank you for your spirit, for it has brought forth knowledge. Your word says, the word, uh, the letter kills, but your spirit gives life up, our Father. And so we thank you for the many revelations that you have poured out into our own spirits. And as we thank you, Lord God, as we understand the meaning of wisdom, to see things according to your lenses, Father God, I pray, Lord God, that we will hearken to it to do exactly what you have revealed to us. For you do not reveal things to us uh, in vain. You reveal them to us that we may act upon it. And so, Father, I pray that for each and every one of us who have gathered here this evening, Lord, may you put in their hearts a strong desire to obey and to live according to what you have revealed to each and every one of us. I thank you, Father, for our facilitators. I thank you especially for Pastor Sylvia. As you poured into her everything that she poured out into us, I pray that may you reveal it a thousandfold, that she will not only be a blessing to us, but to everyone she encounters when she leaves from here. But I pray, Lord God, that whatever we have received also, Lord, we will go out into this dying world, into this dark world, and be a light and be a good witness for you, Father. We thank you, Lord God, for every good and perfect gift that you bestowed upon all your children. Lord, I pray that we will use every gifting to glorify your holy name, for you are holy, you are mighty, you are precious in all of your ways, O God. And so we thank you, Abba, Father. I pray, Lord God, that as we depart from here, may we depart with your spirit, Lord, to walk in spirit so that we may not gratify the deeds of our flesh. And Father God, I pray, Lord God, that as we go out into this world, Father God, you will ordain each and every one of our steps that we may walk in righteousness and not in deceit. So Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your precious word. Oh Lord, I just thank you for your word is so precious. Like David said, your word have I hidden in my heart so I may not sin against you. So whatever we have received today, Lord, may we hide it in our heart and may we cherish it that we may not sin against you. Lord God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your word. All this we pray in Jesus' mighty name and with thanksgiving. And may all the saints say, amen. 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 amen.
God bless you all. We will be doing communion uh, next Monday. So please have your elements ready and we'll partake together as the family of God. And we'll look forward to seeing you all then. Shalom, shalom. <laughs> shalom, shalom.